Hello and welcome back. You're joining us today for Opportunity Thrives. I'm your host, Jason Mitchell. And on this show, we are committed to better supporting the needs of today's secondary students. Through interviews with students, teachers, administrators, technologists, and education influencers, we want to understand what's working in our schools today, what's not, and how we can impact positive and lasting change. We would love to hear your feedback and suggestions on our show. Please click in the podcast notes. You can leave us a review, provide your input, or send us questions. You can also reach out to us at info at opportunitythrives.com. Today, we're going to look back at many of the leaders, the students, and educators who share their insights, nuggets of wisdom, and projections for the future of learning with us throughout the past year. We want to go back and consider what these leaders anticipate will stick with us long after the pandemic is over. So let's dive into today's show to find out. We had the opportunity to chat with Lisa Robotham, the secondary ELA supervisor for Passaic Public Schools, who also runs the AVID program for the district. Lisa shared her strategies for implementing successful remote learning opportunities to engage students from a distance and how they're providing expansive professional development for their teachers. Our district provided technology hotspots to any parents that were in need of it. We also issued Chromebooks to all of our enrolled students. And to further develop our curriculum, we wanted something that seemed somewhat seamless in a time where we are in such upheaval, so much change. We wanted to have instruction going on that was as similar or as close as possible to brick and mortar instruction. And so we are a novel based curriculum within our district in the ELA program. And it was imperative that we found ebooks for our current titles so that the students could have accessibility to the books and the teachers could continue on with our present curriculum and pacing guides. So that was huge for us, being able to do that, issuing the one-to-one laptops for every student as opposed to each family sharing a laptop. Over the summer, we were able to issue a Chromebook to every student, and that made a huge difference. We also aligned our units of study and our core novels to make that smooth transition platforms that would allow us to engage our students in that work. And throughout the challenge of COVID-19, we were so impressed with how Lisa and her team were able to enlist parents as partners in the learning process. We don't anticipate this program will be going away anytime soon. So let's have a listen. Well, I want to say thank you to the parents. It's incredible what they've been able to do, how well they're supporting their children and emphasizing the importance of education. Just as teachers have really stepped up, so have the parents. It's a community effort. And I'm really grateful to all of the parents in our community. So as far as parent support, we offer different levels of parent support and in different fashions. So of course, there are district blasts that are sent out, communications, letting parents know of the big ticket items within the district, such as when we were distributing Chromebooks for the hotspots. So those were notifications that were sent out throughout the community. But we also have pre-recorded videos for parents to watch because they're helping their children at whatever age level support and navigate these digital platforms that they've never utilized before. So we created kind of like somewhat how-to guides for parents and how to access the digital platforms, how to navigate them, and so that they feel comfortable when they're helping their child 
in the classroom or after school. We've also developed videos. Each of the supervisors in the district, math, science, ELA, social studies, created an overview of the year for parents so that they would be able to know what the year would encompass, what are some of the resources, whether it's textbook, core novels, so that the parents kind of have an idea, a bird's eye view of what's happening in the classroom or in that content area. And then I think more personally, we also implemented a parent support program where teachers are available twice a week for two hours and they work with parents, giving them some more, I would say, critical lens of what's happening in the classroom. So for each content area, there'll be a teacher available that's saying, this is where we are in the pacing guide. This is what we're covering. This is what we want your child to know and learn this week. And I think that that is extremely beneficial because in our district, we're 93% Latino. And so most of our curriculum materials, unless they're an L1 or an L2 student, is going to be in English and not in the native language. So having this opportunity for parents to connect with an educator and have a parent liaison or another teacher that speaks the language really closes that gap for the parent and gives them the tools and resources to help their child because ultimately that's all we want is for their child to be successful. One of our favorite and most popular episodes this year was on the topic of communication and how districts have handled this monumental task to effectively communicate with students and families. Thomas Vacanti, the online learning coordinator for the City School District of Albany in New York, describes how his district is going back to the basics to find ways to connect with and build relationships with their students. Going back to basics in a digital world, it is quite a task. And basically, we've trained kids or, you know, we have a programs in place that make kids very reliant on their teachers. And it is very difficult for them to get the same sort of feedback and sentiment through a computer screen. When you have your group meetings set up, like we, for the most part, are doing in all of our high school level classes now, students feel even further removed from the content and the teachers than they may have in the classroom, especially our struggling students. So when I say going back to basics, what I really mean is how are you developing that connection and that relationship with that student? Specifically in my role, which historically has been credit recovery, you know, rapid credit accumulation, night school, summer school, all these different unique cases, which in a large district like ours can be thousands of students. We're now doing that for every student. <laughs> so everything from you know the AP level student to an ELL student who's struggling with the language, everything for these secondary students is online now. And what we're finding is we have to connect with these kids personally and intensely as best we can. So specifically in my role, a good example is our night school students, which because of budget issues in New York, we've had quite a whirlwind over the past few months. Our budget constraints have made it so we've had to get rid of the night school program. 
So now that that night school program is gone, all those students have been given the option to do virtual learning through well, what we're calling, I guess, the traditional model now, or going fully online and kind of almost in an independent study model using, in our case, Apex. And that has been brutally difficult. We have all sorts of email systems, phone call systems that are set up to do mass mailings. Uh, We definitely do some snail mailing as well. But in the night school program, with half of those kids choosing a fully virtual model without much teacher involvement, I couldn't even get a hold of half of those kids. So then I had to utilize our rubber meets the road type folks, we call them homeschool coordinators, to go out and find these phone numbers for these kids because they had to hear me and talk to me personally. It wasn't enough just to get the email like, hey, you're set up, sign on, start learning. So the focus has been how to develop the relationship with the students where they feel connected to you and wanting to learn the material and comfortable learning the material because they're all brutally overwhelmed. I'm sure that's the same sentiment across the country. Every level of student is feeling totally out of place. And like I said before, it's been conditioned to have teachers as the guiding and grounding force in these sorts of situations. And being at home and not being able to meet and talk with them and develop rapport with them It's really difficult. So whatever we can do to try and foster that sort of approach, honestly, I am finding now good old-fashioned phone calls. The video chats are great when you want to meet with a lot of kids, but I want to set a system up where kids can call me, text me. I actually use Google Voice, and I set up what I refer to as the online learning hotline, and the kids can call or text And I get the most amount of participation in that. Email's fine. Doing a robocall is fine when the kids just get an update to their phone. But they want to talk to you. So whatever we can do to make that possible. And then for the regular school teachers, whatever we can do to lighten the load so that they can then do that for their traditional or online traditional classes. So they actually have a schedule. They're meeting with kids. They're giving homework. They're doing all sorts of assessments, but it's a huge weight, especially if they have more than one content area, you know, it's impossible for them to do. So we're trying to give them as many tools so that they can set aside the amount of time they would normally spend prepping and delivering instruction so they can develop relationships with the kids, whether they find that to be phone calls, texting, whatever social media, it doesn't matter. Whatever makes that kid feel like they are being held accountable and that they're being supported, we're all for. And whatever we can do and whatever program we're running to make that happen or help whatever teacher we're working with to make it so they have the time to do that, that's what it's all about right now. Tom also coined one of our favorite terms that we've heard as a result of the challenges in the pandemic. So we thought that was absolutely worth another listen. Some staff members got their back. They have to feel that. Otherwise, they will give up so fast. And we see this all over the place. As soon as they hit, it was like this before with a lot of struggling students where they come across some sort of difficulty and hands are up. I'm done. I can't do this. I can't believe you're making me do this. What's going on? And, and now that has just been exacerbated to a point where we have to get really, really creative 
and very flexible. And I think making sure that everybody knows that there's someone to go to at any time is essential. And I'll, I'll go back to what was mentioned before and think about when you call customer service and you get a computer or you get a voicemail or you shoot an email off and you got to wait, you know, we'll get back to you in 24 or 48 hours. That might work for you, but it's not going to work if you're a teenager, number one. And it's not going to work for anyone if they really want to feel supported. So making sure all those supports are in place. And although we're learning from what we've experienced last year and over the summer, we are still experimenting. I mean, we still do have people doing different things. And we're going to see how that works. Some folks, like I said, are really holding on to the video instruction model, recording it, sharing it, and having that as their main focus. Some folks are leaning heavy on online tool, like an Apex tutorial or something like that. We know all the stuff that teachers are doing works. We just don't know to what capacity in this situation. And we certainly are honing the craft here with the focus being the building and maintaining of those relationships. And I'll use this term that I've been trying to coin lately, and it is aggressive advocacy. (laughs) So you need to have tools in place. So if the kid knows you got their back and they're still not doing what you need them to do, you can come at them pretty hard and hold them accountable very specifically so that not only do they feel supported, but they feel a bit pressured. So that aggressive advocacy is important, especially now when kids can get lost in the wind in a heartbeat. Assistant Superintendent Carrie Torres from Bray Olinda Unified School District, she shared her school district strategies for meeting the unique needs of their students and how she feels that they are supporting certain populations of students better than ever with virtual learning than they have before. This has been a silver lining for a group of our students because One of the things we're finding is you have two groups of kids. You know, historically, we had kids who wanted to be online for different reasons. And that's how we partnered with Apex years ago was really to meet a different need. And today, we are meeting a need for all of our students. And the flexible learning environment is important because students and families right now are dealing with anxiety and stress that they have not experienced in the past. None of us who are walking around educating kids right now have experienced a pandemic until now. So 2020 has brought many challenges for us and that flexibility is so important because families need to craft their life around a different type of family environment as well. And students are dealing with this at different levels. And so being able to have access to digital curriculum and content that's relevant and rigorous, that meets their needs, that's available during the day, of course, with teachers who are willing to check in and support but also allows them to log in later and have that confidence to be able to work through it on their own time has really been able to allow some families to take a deep breath and some of our students to take a deep breath, Um, especially at the secondary level. When you think of working with six or seven different content areas, kids can really set their own pace. And we're seeing some success with that, especially with our independent study program. We spoke with Kimberly Smith, the founder of the new Center for Inclusive Innovation from Digital Promise, who shared insights that we would love to see stick this year. She talks about the importance of using the phrase, I am willing, and how she believes that will help to shape our future as educators and the future of our students. 
I read a book one time that I love called Mastering Life's Energies, and it said just the phrase, I am willing, is extremely powerful. And I've seen a lot of I am willing actions, both within schools, within district leaders, and just within the sector itself. And so it's giving me hope that there's really, you know, a way that we're all starting to come together, which I hope is the beginning and not just kind of a moment in time. We've also had the chance to talk with Carl Hooker, who shared his thoughts on how this time has provided us an opportunity to reimagine our approach to learning with digital curriculum. Well, I think the first thing is you always focus on the standards. You don't focus on, let's say, the actual textbook. If it's a digital textbook, for example, if you just use that as your teaching tool, then you're probably limiting a lot of what you can do or what your kids can do. So Mm -hmm. the ones that are doing it right, I would say they're focusing really on how can I have my students demonstrate their understanding of this topic rather than I'm going to deliver the information to them and then I'm going to give them a synchronous multiple choice quiz that they're going to take that demonstrates their knowledge, but it doesn't actually demonstrate their understanding. So the teachers that go above and beyond that, the schools that go above and beyond that, that constructivist approach of like, okay, you're going to create your own example of what this looks like. You know, that when a student becomes a teacher, that's when they really learn. Then also adding in the opportunity for them to reflect, which I think I struggled with admittedly as a teacher. I always flew through my lessons. I was always, all right, guys, we're doing math now. Now, okay, with 90 minutes is up. Now we got to switch to reading. You know, if I had just taken one to two minutes to say, guys, let's reflect. What is something we learned today? A couple of you call out a couple of things we learned today. Just that one minute of reflection, even if it's just self-reflection, I think is powerful. So the schools that are doing it right with digital curriculum, they're building in those opportunities for students to demonstrate their understanding and to reflect. And then lastly, I would say also having a collaborative element of that, which we don't always think about with you know curriculum, you're like, oh, every kid gets their textbook and they're going to open it up to page 26. But you know, really, I mean, what opportunities are the kids getting to work together or collaborate to and create you know, a shared demonstration of understanding as a team? And then, of course, you can use rubrics and other things to kind of grade that. But having those opportunities, that all just makes it a lot deeper. We're talking higher level blooms, right? And we're not doing that low level, like just knowledge kind of understanding. So we're going higher level with creativity and all of that. I think that's an important thing to think about, too. Sean Slade, the Senior Director of Global Outreach at the Association for Supervision and Curriculum Development, also known as ASCD, spoke with us about his thoughts on the future of education and how the pandemic has created new opportunities for change and innovation. Have a listen to this little clip. Yeah, without being too cliched, every issue, every action is going to have both positive and negative outcomes. And so there are definitely positive outcomes coming out of this. I was mentioning some of them before about the the reframing of education and the understanding around well-being and the there's, a, there's another one which I haven't mentioned, which is there has been a real appreciation of expertise during the COVID crisis. So all of a sudden, we are supporting our health professionals. We are supporting our experts. And I believe because we've had our students at home learning for the majority, you're getting a lot of parents who are really appreciating the skills and the expertise of our teachers as well. But there are probably three things which are going to be sort of monumental coming out of this. And these are things that we have been talking about for a number of years, but education has been a laggard as a sector in making change. And when you think about education, since we're actually preparing individuals for the future, should actually be the forerunner of making change. But we tend to drag our feet a little bit in policy and testing and so forth and don't make too many changes unless they're necessary. What COVID has done is 
it has forced many of these changes immediately. So we've been having during COVID a rediscussion about the purpose of education. That's been occurring. If you Google terms like reimagine education or what if or future of education, there's all these discussions happening around the world where people are reappraising why do we have an education system, which I think is the perfect place for us to be, not just now, but all the time. And to add on to that, we're also having discussions which have been forced upon us about the value and the necessity of some of our high-stake testing systems. And again, not to say that those they don't have any value, but I do think we need to discuss these things to understand what their value is. And if the value is just historical context, I don't believe that's a good enough reason to not make changes. So we've seen discussions around assessments, high-stake assessments, how schools are being evaluated, how teachers are being evaluated, and much of that has been thrown out over the last six months. And so those discussions are happening. The second thing which has been happening and it plays back into the topics of agency we spoke about, is we've been talking for at least a decade or more about moving away from the sage on the stage to the guide on the side. So moving away from having a lecture, didactic, instructional method of teaching and learning to one where the teacher and the students are co-developing and co-learning together. That is taking place during this time. Just because it is almost physically and mentally impossible to be on Zoom classrooms synchronously for the whole school day, you are getting a lot more teachers who are giving agency to their students and to their in-project-based learning. So you're starting to see that happen. And the last one is an understanding that Learning does not take place only inside the classroom between nine and three, or in the case of the schools here in Virginia, you know, between somewhere between 7.30 and 3.30. It's an understanding that learning should be taking place inside a learning ecosystem, and that ecosystem incorporates the home, it incorporates the community, it incorporates online. It incorporates anywhere the student can access information. So the good thing is I think COVID is forcing education 10 years into the future. You know, we should have done some of this work, and many schools have, but we should have done this work writ large 10 years ago, but maybe we'll finally see education taking that leap. If there's one thing that's evident, It's that district leaders have overcome all the odds to support student success this year. In this episode, we spoke with leaders from Tucson Unified School District who provided a snapshot of their commitment to their community and the success of their students. Historically speaking, we all know as educators that we've been, since the 21st century began, we have been talking about things that we'd like to do, It would be nice to do this. Oh, it would be great if we could do this for kids as a broad scale for the entire K-12 education in the United States and across the world. Then all of a sudden, COVID, the big red button got pushed. So 
while it's certainly a challenge in a bad sort of way, there's also an opportunity to step back and say, wait a minute, we're now in the year 2020, which means the 21st century is one-fifth completed, which means that there are kindergartners now, right now, going to school, who will actually see the 22nd century. So to that end, what story are they going to tell their great-grandchildren about what it was like to go to school in the 21st century and to go to school while you had a pandemic? We have one shot at this. They're only in kindergarten one time. They're only in their sophomore year one time, et cetera, et cetera. We have to get this right. So to get this right, what we take great pride in doing is making sure that we partner with vendors who understand the importance of providing a quality, rigorous, and relevant opportunity for teaching and learning in the digital age. And they come in and actually listen to our story. It's not a matter of, well, take this out of the box and here it is, here you go, and good luck with that. No, we have to make sure that we build an ecosystem of applications that have a purpose and fit and align with what it is we are trying to do as a district. And we've also had the pleasure of speaking with students about their perspectives on the future of education and how they feel about digital curriculum and virtual learning. If these students are any indication of future generations, then we are most certainly in good hands. I think one of the most valuable things that education has endowed me with is an incredible work ethic. So before I had the privilege of doing school online, I was enrolled in a private high school in Chicago, Illinois, that had an incredibly challenging curriculum. Kids I knew in the honors program could do four to six hours of work a day. So in that process of being in that environment, I really learned how to manage my time effectively, how to make the most of my time, how to keep going and keep going even when you know the pressure was mounting. So I think that will be very valuable from a career perspective. But secondly, and perhaps far more importantly, I think education has really given me the skills to be a productive member of our society. So someone who can understand media bias, analyze arguments effectively, understand that, you know, many situations have a lot of nuance and complexity and therefore deserve nuanced and complex solutions. So I am incredibly grateful for everything that I have learned and been able to absorb because of my education. And hopefully it will allow me to benefit society in my future field or as an adult pursuing volunteer work. After hearing all of these powerful and insightful voices again, it's hard not to be excited about the potential that we have to inspire real and lasting change in education long after the pandemic wanes. We look forward to continuing to learn from and support students, support educators, and district leaders in their quest to help students thrive, however and wherever students are learning. And Opportunity Thrives listeners, we would love to hear your stories. So reach out to us and share your ideas, your comments, or even guest ideas for our show at info at opportunitythrives.com. Thank you so much for tuning in today, and we will see you next time. <laughs>